Welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that knows that there isn't a house password in addition to a gate password. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with my A with an attitude, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Heatwave! <laughs> Alma! Check your battery. I is maybe my favorite line in that whole movie. It's so good. I want no. Here's the thing. I'm someone who you know how it's like. People are like, you want to be this, but you are this in terms yeah. of like any type of self actualization thing of like yeah. astrology, whatever. Yeah. I want to be an Alma, but I am the Mary Wicks sister, sister Mary. Sister Mary Lazarus, Sister yes. Mary Lazarus. Icon, Sister Mary. We will talk about Mary Wicks because I want to get into Love it. Love her. So you know how every once in a while I will like text you and I'll be like Lois Smith in East of Eden or whatever, and like seem exactly. like some, an actress who we only know as an older woman because of our life experience, <laughs> and then see them in a younger role. I will flip actual shit if I when I the and I will at some point when I see Mary Wicks in a younger role because like. Um, or it's like when I watched, uh, she's younger, fun- I believe in her wiki profile photo. Let me pull that back up. Oh, Mary. No, no. She's a different nun in her wiki photo. Wait, is that, is that a nun or is she a cop driving a car? Oh my God. Where angels go, trouble follows from 1968. Mary Wicks. Hell what yeah. Mary Wicks. Fuck. I'm going to watch that. Um, a legend in this. So, I, in mine, I want to be uh, Kathy and Jimmy in this movie, but I believe I am probably you are too surly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm instead uh, the the nun who goes hail when right. they're doing hail holy queen, and I'm gonna uh, yikes. <laughs> <laughs> also a legend. Every one Love of these her. nuns. A living legend. Well, some of them probably aren't, unfortunately. Anyway. I know. But, it's uh, well, we know at least living a few. in our hearts, minds, and souls. When we run down the cast, we'll do a little uh, tribute to a couple of our faves because uh, there are some. This had Oscar buzz. True faves in this cast, and I do love it. Um, what a great, what a great collection. Of this ladies, movie, this, this religious, but in a non-threatening way, movie. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That also uh, made me no longer believe in God because uh, Wendy McKenna, when I discovered that uh, she has a voice dub yes. for her singing voice. Did you never catch on to that? 
I didn't know that as a child, but I found that out as an adult. It was kind of like discovering Santa Claus isn't real. It was one um, of those things where I never really like glommed onto it as a child, but like I've seen Sister Act through the course of my life probably like 20 times. Right. And so is, like at some point along the line, movie. I was like, oh, right. This is a, ironically enough for a movie that has a CNC Music Factory song on the soundtrack that this Just is a- Just a touch a, of love, baby. Just um, a touch of love. Uh, this is a, a CNC Music Factory situation where we have a uh, a voice dub. Um, Happy New Year, listeners. Happy New Year. Uh, this this episode drops right on New Year's Day. A perfect. We are way. your hangover episode with what I would call a perfect hangover movie. Perfect hangover movie. A perfect watch it on cable movie. This is. Uh, I've said before how when I was a kid, we taped Sister Act and House Sitter on the same VHS off of an HBO pre- free preview weekend. And that what a double feature that VHS got a lot of use. I remember particularly my sister and I watching Sister Act a lot. I, of course, uh, grew up Catholic. I went to Catholic school. Weirdly, I've talked about this. How I went to like Catholic school my entire educational career because I also went to a Jesuit college. Although by the time you get to Jesuit college, it doesn't really. Feel Both like of your sisters are nuns Catholic. now. <laughs> yeah, I will say my one aunt is a former nun. Um, was a nun for before before I was born. Um, was a nun. Sister um, Prejean, right, is your aunt. Yeah, Sister Helen Prejean from uh, yeah. from uh, who I also, when I was in high school at my Catholic high school, went to go see speak at the local college around here. Like she was doing a speaking tour after Dead Man Walking came out, um, and so we went to to go see her speak because it was behind a pane of glass, and she's just holding a hand to the glass throughout her whole speech. My my, because uh, you when you go to ca- Catholic high school, you take and Catholic grammar school, you take religion class as you take English and science and whatever you take religion. And my religion teacher, who who I sparred with constantly on um, the subject of abortion, uh, we were, of course, aligned on the subject of capital punishment. So the odd Catholic, uh, you know, uh, dichotomy of whatever, of uh, what side of the liberal conservative divide that they are on. Uh, anti, uh, uh, anti-abortion, but also anti-capital punishment. So that one, I was like, all right, let's go see the, I'll go see the, 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 Dead man walking nun. Um, I was also like super. I like loved that movie that year, so I was very into that. Was that was uh, my my very first early Susan Sarandon phase, where I was like greatest actress in the world. And um, but so going to especially Catholic elementary school where we had our principal was a nun, our uh, math teacher was this ancient nun, like the oldest person. I'd ever seen in my entire life was our math teacher in junior high. And so, and like all the classics, like very Sister Alma, where, except she was kind of mean, um, but like couldn't hear anything. Like the class was chaos. All of us, like us, I should say, I was not, a, I was not a rule breaker, but like all of the like uh, kids in the class were very much taking advantage of the fact that we had a mostly deaf, uh, eight billion year old nun as a teacher. And, um, but so, so Sister Act was always one where I was just like, oh yeah, like, look at all those nuns. The, the, (laughs) the girls high school that my sister went to was essentially like, was in the same building essentially as a full ass convent. So like they had all sorts of nuns. They had a front row seat. This is where I ask you as Catholic 
uh, yeah. uh, Catholic school, uh, alumnus. Yes. Whatever. Yes. I say this as if like all Catholic schools are just one big school, one big family. I mean, um, this is maybe the moment to ask you about Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. Good movie. Good movie. Not better than Sister Act 1. There is a millennial disease. You hate disease. Sister Act 2 poptimism. You hate the people that are like, Sister Act 2 is the better movie. Here's there what I will say There is a millennial disease about... that, that makes them say constantly that Sister Act 2 is better than Sister Act 1. And I'm sorry, I just don't see it. I know everybody loves Lauren Hill, so do I. But like, no. No. Cheryl, no. Mean Mom, Shirley Ralph. Um, I do love Shirley Ralph. Here's what I will say for the cult of Sister Act 2, because I love Sister Act 2. Uh, I think anyone who went through some type of high school music program... Okay. All right. Since that movie has come out, whether you were in band or choir, especially if you were a choir nerd... Yeah. You have, like... I say Sister Act is in my blood, but Sister Act 2, because of that, because I was in, like, show choir, Sister sure. Act 2 is in my blood bones i hear that i hear that you make a solid point with that yeah i think that there you know the outsized love for that movie is maybe rooted in that a little bit my thing about sister act two is you watch that movie and you're like this existed as a totally other script and they were like well we could just put dolores in this and make it a sister act sequel because it makes absolutely no sense that all the other sister marries that she is Back in the habit? Yeah, it makes well, no sense. Well, yes, and essentially doing it as a favor. Like, she uh-huh. goes and becomes a full-ass teacher to, yeah. like, do them a solid. But, like, also, why are all when, of as... these nuns, why did they leave the convent to go do a school? Like, well, that to me is, like, nuns in a convent and nuns teaching at a school is pretty seamless to me. Like, that to me is sort of like, that's the Catholic experience. Um, it's just like nuns up in your school teaching. Like that's that that makes sense to me. The thing that we learn at the end of Sister Act One, though, is that Dolores Van Cartier goes on to become famous on the cover of all these magazines, and she's famous and whatever. And so, like, it would feel insane that like this, even if she's like sort of mid-level famous, this mid-level famous singer is now back in her nun outfit. Teaching at your high school or your middle school. But teaching school, teens. High school, like, right? she's yeah, not famous teens. to them because they're too young. Five I years guess. later, whoever is famous is no longer famous anymore. To but then all their moms should be like, oh my god, Dolores Van Cartier is your teacher? Like, I read about her in, in People magazine. Like This is kind of this is also me coming off of having a visit over at my sister's last night with my mm-hmm. niece talking about some full-ass singer who is, like, sh- selling out stadiums who, I swear to God, I have never heard of before. Welcome to the rest of your life. It's gonna be fun. And I was like, I was like, I'm cool. I know who Olivia Rodrigo is. And she was like, mm. like, Olivia Rodrigo was like, popular, not like, as famous as five full years ago. Yeah, like, that's, that's, uh... 2000 and late, my friend. So, like, yes, the Lauren Hill teens of Sister Act 2 back in the habit, they don't know who Dolores Ancardi well, is. Well, yes, except that, like, youth accelerated slower mind. back then. You know what I mean? Like, we yeah. are at an age of, like, extreme youth acceleration. Whereas, like, back then, maybe, like, back then when you were in high school, you still knew who, like, who was on VH1. As a VH1 child, as I know you were. 
Um, maybe Lauren Hill wasn't because she was cool. Although ironically, Lauren Hill was very big on VH1 back then. Anyway, um, the Catholicism of Sister Act definitely like there was the because Sister Act is very much about like nuns, like having going from nuns to nuns. You know what I mean? I'm like, sure, sure. Um, they're we, edging we, ever closer to the nuns having fun calendar. Nothing is better than a nun's having fun calendar. I was literally, we had my family over last night for a little pre-holiday party. And um, I was talking to my sisters about, because they went to, like I said, the girls' high school that had all the, the nuns. And they talked about how their gym teacher was a nun. And I was like, that makes me think of that scene in Mermaids where Winona Ryder like sneaks over to the convent and like peers over and they're all playing like stickball on the lawn or whatever. And I'm like, that's, that's very nuns having fun, right? <laughs> that is, that's, um, but I just love that idea of just like a nun with like a, a gym whistle in, uh, around her neck or something like that. It's, 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 great. I'm going, I'm going to make a proposition to you. You Propose have previously away. talked about loving movies that, like, as a concept, are about going to nationals. I yes, think the Sister Act franchise, our second finest franchise, um, are about going to nationals in different ways. The first in different one, ways, which, yeah. like, if you're none, if you're a nun, what is going to nationals? We're going to Vatican's. Yeah, being being in the presence of the Pope. Going yes. to nationals. Yep. Second one, literally a choir that goes to a choir competition. They go to nationals. Yes. So yes. to continue in the going to nationals like plot line and yep. accelerating the nuns having fun, Sister Act 3 needs to be about how they form a racquetball team <laughs> and go to racquetball nationals. Pickleball, get on with the with the cultural trends, Chris. The, the, uh, the form of pickleball, uh, badminton. Team. Yeah, yes. Got to have quick quick reflexes. I don't know how much Sister Alma's going to be able to like quickly uh, swing that badminton. <laughs> Maybe they're the racket. cheer team for the national priests ba- badminton. Now you've like just invented palms, though, Chris. Now you've just reinvented <laughs> palms. Is what's accidentally happened. I'm working all the way back around to bring it on. Um... <laughs> Sister Act Three, theoretically coming soon, yeah, to Disney Plus. I was so. going to say, what streaming platform is going to? Well, it Disney, Disney, Plus? Disney yeah. owns the Sister Acts. Um, yeah. The only enticing thing is that apparently Kiki Palmer wants to do it. With the thing about Kiki Palmer is, oh, it was a Touchstone movie. I was going to say, like, wait a second, I don't remember that it was a Touchstone movie. Oh, I remember Touchstone? Um, Kiki Palmer makes everything better. Kiki Palmer is in a lot of things, and those two things are sort of in like a little bit of like conversation with one another. Truly, like, the hardest working woman in Kiki Palmer will be like, "Yeah, I'll do a game show with Jimmy Fallon. Why not? Like, that's fine. Yeah, I'll do singled out with Joel Kim Booster on Quibi. Uh, shout out Joel. I don't think Joel listens, but uh, I love Joel. Um, I love Kiki Palmer. I I will never turn down watching something with Kiki Palmer. She is sort of. I think ever since she did um, Joyful Noise, mm-hmm. she was in Joyful Noise, right? Yes. I'm not, I'm not mixing up uh, uh, movies. She spiritually feels like she's part of the Sister Act universe already. You know what I mean? Like yeah. th- it does feel like uh, that's only correct. Who should the other nuns be, though? If we have Kiki Palmer, huh? Perhaps Olivia Rodrigo. Billie Eilish has alt nun. 
honestly, for as much as I'm not into Billie Eilish, that works for me. I think that fits. I like that. I think because you know, like if they're gonna keep it a musical, there's got to be like, you know, uh, uh. I, I the words I keep coming up, I'm like, that's a past trend. That is not what the current moment is. Because I'm right. like, grunge nun, emo nun. That's not really what it is. It's kind of just like a soup of a lot of. Past but the thing, things. the what thing that's great it? about Sister Act as a concept is you don't need to pigeonhole yourself into one age range either. Like this is a movie no. where it's like old nuns, middle aged nuns, younger nuns, and so you could do like you could really pull from a lot of you know, a different talent, everybody from a, um, Donna Murphy should be Mother Superior, first of all, I'm just going to say that, <laughs> but like, um, throw a Bonnie Milligan in there as a nun, throw a, like, I'm trying to think of like Broadway talent, you know what I mean, that you can throw in there. Yeah. Um, uh, Kelly O'Hara, although Kelly O'Hara is too glamorous for that, you know what I mean? But like, you know what no, I mean. No, 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 totally. I hear you. I agree. Now I'm just picking people from the Gilded Age too. Is the other thing that that one uh, uh, lady from the Gilded Age that everybody loves? Cheetah Rivera. Oh my God! <laughs> Cheetah. Cheetah Rivera is Sister Alma. <laughs> All right, um, we are we are not only celebrating New Year's uh, with everybody here uh, talking about Sister. We want to start the year with something very fun. We also uh, put the call out on our Patreon series, which first of all. Um, Chris, tell everybody why they should join our Patreon, and then we will talk about why this is the first episode of our Patreon Select series for January. Well, our, our, technically, uh, technically... Our second episode, second. you're right, you're right. But you're right. January, first of our January, we're doing this all there. in the month of yes. January. Yes. Um, so, listeners, we have a Patreon. We call it This Head Oscar Buzz Turbulent Brilliance. For $5 a month, you're going to get two bonus episodes. On the first of the month, we do what we call exceptions. These are movies that really fit the rubric of this had Oscar buzz, but managed to get nominations elsewhere. Uh, most recently, well, today you'll have a brand new episode. Head over there because this month our Patreon episodes land the same day as right regular episodes. Listen to both if you subscribe, please. We don't yes. want either of them to get buried. Um, uh, movies like Australia, which our friend Katie Rich came and joined us for, The Lovely Bones, which was selected by the patrons, Pleasantville, Nine, The Mirror Has Two Faces, and then on the 15th of the month, we'll be doing what we call excursions, which are like deep dives into Oscar ephemera, ephemera that we love to obsess about. Uh, things like we're recapping award ceremonies. We've done the 1996 MTV Movie Awards. We do recaps of the Hollywood Reporter Roundtables. We've had an actress one, and this month we're going to be doing a director one. I went to Magic Mike Live, had the greatest night of my life. Most recently, we did a full awards race recap of where everything stands so far this year. Who knows? Maybe by now that things have changed a little bit. Probably not, because it's New Year's Day. Not quite yet, yeah. And uh, in a week, though. we like to pop in some surprise. We have a call in line where we're answering listeners calls. Those pop up on occasion as a nice little uh, surprise for you. Yeah. And then we also have we haven't really promoted it, but there might be slots open now if you uh, want to join our sponsor level. But uh, those who are on our sponsor level, if they subscribe at that level for three consecutive months. They get to do, uh, they get to choose an episode 
on the main feed. That's right. That's why and we'll be doing a month of Patreon selects. That's right. So to celebrate that, we are doing a full month of movies that our patrons have selected, our uh, sponsor-level patrons have selected. These are, uh, they're going to be really good. We don't, uh, uh, we don't give away the farm all the way uh, at the beginning of the month, but trust me, I'm very excited to do all four of these movies, starting here with Sister Act. So Sister Act comes from uh, our our valued patron Euro Cheese, and I'm just going to read the uh, request in full before we move on. We love you, Euro right. Cheese. Thank, Thank you for you. giving us something fun to talk about. Exactly, exactly. All right, quote Euro Cheese. I always loved movies, but didn't pay any attention to the Oscars as a kid. It wasn't until college when I discovered so many films I loved: Memento, the South Park musical. I remember friends doing a double feature of Moulin Rouge and American Beauty were Oscar nominees or winners. In late 2002, I went to Scotland on exchange for a year. I fell in love with cheesy European dance music known as Euro Cheese. Think Sophie Ellis Baxter. Shout out to Saltburn, says Joe. I came out to my friends and made a point of expanding my cinema choices. I delved into more international titles like City of God, Itu Mama Tambien, Discovered Almodovar, and I remember the impact of seeing Chicago and especially the hours in theaters. After that, I was hooked. To this day, my favorite cheat answer for my favorite actor is The Women of the Hours. The real answer goes back and forth between Kidman and Moore. This was all uh, Euro Cheese's Euro preamble. Euro Cheese 2 was radicalized by the hours. Listen, uh, uh, we are not alone. We are legion. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, Euro Cheese has selected Sister Act for us, a movie that on its surface, you think, well, that probably didn't have Oscar buzz. Uh, it's a it's a mainstream comedy. It's a you know uh, it's a summer movie. There was, wasn't really a ton of ambition, and yet I say to you, uh, two Golden Globe nominations for best uh, actress in a musical or comedy and best picture musical or comedy. We'll get into that. And also, I will say, watching this movie and knowing that Maggie Smith is a two time Oscar winner. There is a universe in which a beloved actress in a uh, in a mainstream comedy like this sometimes gets nominated. It's 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 in general, Chris, and you can chime in with your thoughts as well. This is a nice way for us to talk about actresses, uh, actresses, uh, <laughs> actors and actresses who have or haven't been nominated. Uh, for play for uh, sort of mainstream comedies and like the general sort of comedy conundrum with the Oscars, I think uh, we can we can use this as a as a jumping off point for a conversation about that because there are some interesting examples that I sort of uh, jotted down as I was thinking about this, and we'll get into that obviously on the other side of the plot description and whatnot. But um, where do you come down on the Oscar buzziness of Sister Act? Well, to me, the like, lar- the the like lead on that is Whoopi had just won her Oscar and for a comedy performance too, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and she this I mean this movie is a massive hit and she essentially becomes one of America's favorite actresses in mm-hmm. this time period too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that you bring up the Maggie Smith thing, because I was also thinking while watching this movie, it's like, if this movie comes out 10 years later and Maggie Smith is in that role, 
Maggie Smith is absolutely talked about for an Oscar nomination. So it's also just like the performer yeah. Yeah. at that time. Yeah. At, at the right time and such. I mean, I do I do think like this is on the bubble of what we normally do here. I will but say everyone's hung over today. It's New that's Year's the thing. Day. We would not have selected this on our own. I think if Chris, if you had brought this up to me on your own, I probably would have been like, but uh, we allow uh, our leeway for our uh, sponsor level patrons. So this is the kind of deference you can get if you sign up for a this at Oscar Buzz Patreon sponsorship. Well, um, it's such an interesting Oscar conversation because not only yes. it's like she get she probably is second place would have won if not nominated against Geraldine Page and Geraldine Page having the for Oscar, the color purple, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Uh, Whoopi quite probably would have won if it's not Geraldine Page has been nominated all these times and they've anointed this is the year that she is going to win. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, Whoopi wins for Ghost, gets a comedy Oscar for Ghost. We'll talk about comedy Oscars. I will say, crucially, though, and this will play into our conversation later, a comedy performance within a drama film. You know what yes. I mean? Which, like, yes. that I think is crucial to the alchemy there. because. Um, and I think if you also kind of want to look at askance at a movie like Sister Act, would the Oscars have considerate? You kind of have to look, like, Ghost is a perfect example next to it because like i know people love ghost ghost is like nacho cheese movie yeah like ghost is a deeply less serious movie than sister act is well <laughs> to me i don't sister like act- ghost i i understand all right how am i gonna put this you're not wrong except for the fact that like ghost is Ghost isn't good, it's great. You know what I mean? It's one of those things where it's just like... Ghost, if Ghost is great, it's because of Whoopi. Like, when Whoopi shows up in that movie, I'm like, oh, thank God. Well, yes, but also, like, I think of scenes like the the get-off-my-train scene with Vincent Schiavelli, where, you know, it's like, yes, it's a lot of cheese. Yes, obviously, like, the Unchained Melody scene is, like, so corny, but, like, it also... that's a That's a perfect example. That scene is not good. That scene is great, though. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's it's not like, I'm not saying it's not just good, it's great. I'm saying it is not good. But there is a greatness to what it is anyway. How, like, how it sort of, like, uh, ingrained itself in culture. The sort of, like, the boldness of its cheese, I think, uh, makes sense. I think Tony Goldwyn's performance is that way, too. As the, you know, sort of sniveling villain. I think it's, I'm not going to say guilty pleasure, because I know that, like, that's, you know, we want to... Uh, we don't want to feel guilty for our pleasures. But um, I think Ghost is a movie that kind of transcends its shabbiness. Uh, I think Sister Act is a very well put together comedy that is still, I mean, it's about, you know, a nun on the run from a mobster. You know what I mean? It's just like... <laughs> Nuns you know. having fun on the run. Nuns having fun on the run. Um there's so many funny scenes though, and this we'll we'll talk about it. This has an interesting history too, because you know it, it's clear that they'd tried to shop around for an interesting director for this, especially when it was still attached to Bette Midler. Bette Midler yeah, because Almodovar has talked about being approached to direct this movie. Yeah, it's went like the 
the Hollywood hands that this passed through in the script doctored like crazy. Yeah. 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 We can talk about Paul Rudnick too. Who's yes. We will definitely talk about Paul Rudnick and the director because the director um, also directed Dirty Dancing, which was another movie that did get Oscar to win. It's an Oscar winner, uh, Dirty Dancing. So we'll talk about that as well. Um, But yes, this is a classic sort of futzed with but in a in a very sort of like classic way where it's like this is how a lot of mainstream comedies were made right where like yeah. there wasn't an auteurist tradition to most of these mainstream comedies right they went through a process they got rewritten they went from director to director uh they went from star to star and that was sort of how a lot of these worked and ultimately you end up with and 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 didn't have like bad buzz because of it it's not like sister act came up being like boy this movie this went through all these problems and all these turnarounds and they couldn't get the script right and they couldn't get the star right and whatever it's just like no like it's sister act it's whoopi goldberg in a nun's habit like go go see this movie like you know what i mean like what's the problem there shouldn't be a problem there is no problem um that that poster i want to talk for a second just about the poster which says everything you want to say first of all i think you can Almost certainly, if you are of a certain age, you can picture this poster in your head, right? The Sistrag poster, where it's Whoopi, she's in the habit, she's got a hand on her hip, of course, because what does that convey? That conveys attitude. She's got her other arm sort of like up on another nun's uh, shoulder to also convey very like laid back, like it is attitude. <laughs> she has the, what I'm going to call the Whoopi Goldberg sunglasses, which you ever watched her on the Hollywood Squares? You 100%. know, are like the circular sunglasses that she's wearing, like down the down the bridge of her nose, uh, and she's wearing the the thing that stands out besides the sunglasses is she's got the bright red pumps, uh, uh, because she's not a regular nun, she's a cool, sexy nun, and <laughs> the top of the poster just says Whoopi, no gold, like just just Whoopi. That's all you need to know. It's Whoopi, and then the tagline is. No sex, no booze, no man, no way. Sister act. Honey, that is my That's New all you Year's need. resolution. <laughs> no sex, no, no booze, way. no man, no fun. No uh, absolutely not. I will yeah. live my day with all of them. <laughs> um, I do love this movie. I was so happy to be able to, uh, to watch it last night. Um, Chris... I'm going to read some boilerplate information, and then I'm going to challenge you with a 60-second plot description of Sister Act. And you will do it with your eyes closed, because I'm sure that you can replay the movie <laughs> in, your in your head all on its own. All right. So um, we are talking about on this January 1st day, the first day of 2024, we are talking about Sister Act, directed by Emil Ardolino. Written by Paul Rudnick, although, uh, as we mentioned, uh, ghost, uh, not ghost written, but script doctored by the likes of Carrie Fisher and Nancy so Myers. So many so that he contended people. to have his name taken off the movie. Listen, you keep your name on this movie, Paul Rudnick. It's one of the best ones that you're... <laughs> Paul Rudnick's got a lot of... Uh, Especially movies, 90s so. comedies. Like Yes. He knew legend. what was going on. Um, we don't have to talk about that awful uh, uh, pandemic Zoom movie that he made about... <laughs> Mm-mm. politics i do not acknowledge we don't uh starring whoopi goldberg maggie smith harvey keitel kathy and jimmy wendy mckenna mary wicks bill nunn joseph marr 
Jennifer Lewis, uh, a, a bunch of other wonderful women as nuns who we will want to acknowledge, um, including our queen, Ellen Albertini Dow. Do not think that I did not uh. write her name down in big capital letters on my notes. We'll talk about it. Um, this movie premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. Just kidding. It premiered May 29th, 1992 <laughs> uh, in wide release nationwide. Okay. Uh, yes. First of all. First of all. We used. Uh, I know that things like this have become too cliche of a phrase for us to even say anymore. But like, summer movie sister act. Truly, we used to be a country, a real country. Um, okay. Do and... we want to do this before we talk? Do the plot description? Talk about what? Sure, sure, that sure. I, okay. I, as per usual, I've run us a field. That's fine. Go. That's fine. That's fine. Um, what a weekend, though. Like, uh, May twenty ninth. 1992 this would be would this have been memorial day probably not because um the no, it's Monday... probably after memorial day yeah i would think all right anyway um in its third week in release your number one movie is lethal weapon three that's you know what honestly fine i'm not a lethal weapon person i don't uh, i don't i don't begrudge those movies but like whatever lethal weapon three sister act opens number two Followed by the second week of a trio of movies that opened the week before being Alien Cubed. Alien Cubed, David Fincher's Alien Cubed. Uh Far and Away, the uh this had Oscar Buzz approved uh Far and Away, the movie where Tom Cruise punches a horse and where um Nicole Kidman lifts up a bowl to to uh peek at Look at the, his weenie. Tom's uh what's a good Irish term for his meat and two bits. His meat and two bits is tallywacka. Um anyway, um Encino Man rounds out the top five, which uh as everybody the promoting the Brendan Fraser as Oscar campaign Can't talk uh, about last it. year could not stop talking about Encino Man. Um number six, basic instinct. Number seven, Beethoven, a double feature for the gods. Go see <laughs> Basic Instinct followed by Beethoven, Beethoven followed by Basic Instinct. Go to the Cineplex with your whole family and shove the kids into the Beethoven theater, and then you go to see Basic Instinct. That's maybe the plan. Um, In the 29th week of release, Beauty and the Beast is still hanging out in the top 10 from the year before, like, dominant. Mare is still using an ashtray as a top hat. Ugh. Uh, number nine, oh, making over a million dollars on the weekend, just casually in its eighth week of release, The Player, Robert Altman's The Player, is playing uh, play the theaters. Like, <laughs> God bless it. Uh, White Men Can't Jump in its ten, tenth week is number ten. My Cousin Vinny, Wayne's World, Fern Gully, Howard's End, <laughs> Howard's End, what Howard's time. End. Amazing. What a time to be alive and going. Okay, Chris, what's your double feature? We've, we've played well, this what's game the, what's the, Okay, so this is the early 90s. You know, there's mm-hmm. not 20 and 30 screen theaters right. in this day and age. So right. we'll just say from the top 10, what's my double feature? Yeah. Let's Sister assume Act that anything playing on over a thousand screens during this weekend would be at, uh, in, at your local general cinemas. Let's okay, say. so that rules out the player yeah. from this list. Uh, I, yeah, definitely Sister Act and Basic Instinct. I mean, that's pretty good. With the caveat that I have probably already seen Beauty and the Beast by this point, yeah, I think Sister Act and 
basic instinct is pretty good. That's pretty bulletproof. I love that. Um, but like truly pick any weekend in 1992 and I'm probably going to be just like plotting like crazy that like all these <laughs> options were available to us. All right. Uh, Christopher, after that little diversion, I still have 60 seconds on my little stopwatch for you. Are you ready to describe the plot of Sister Act? Yeah. All right. And sure. begin. All right, so uh, Dolores Van Cartier is a Reno uh, lounge singer. She is dating a mobster who gives her uh, his wife's coat, and then she sees him shoot a guy, and she goes into vague witness protection program, and they place her where else uh, would you put a like slutty lounge singer, but in a convent, and she hates the convent. She does not do well there. The mother superior and her really butt heads. And uh, after Dolores sneaks out to, as punishment, the mother superior is like, "You're gonna run the choir now." And she does run the choir and actually like shapes them up, and they start doing like '60s girl group music that is also vaguely religious. So much so that it starts drawing in the congregation and the youths really, and the draws the attention of the Pope. The that attention gets her. Uh, caught by her ex-lover she gets kidnapped all the nuns run to reno and save her and then they come back and they perform for the pope with four seconds to spare good lord not a lot of plot beats in sister this movie runs like a machine it's on rails this movie's on rails it's totally true um and yet never really feels particularly rushed there's only really one montage the cnc music factory aforementioned montage um, where where it's, they're like going out in the community. They're going out in the community and like doing good. And I love that part of the movie. They're learning how to 90s dance with the girls on the street. They are doing, the girls are teaching them body rolls. They're teaching them uh, uh, step touch dancing. It's, it's uh, also the part that was in every TV spot. And of course the trailer, Whoopi Goldberg in a nun's habit doing double dutch. Like... Uh, put that clip somewhere in the smithsonian somewhere just we need to to recognize how there's so many kathy and jimmy white girl twerking i feel like that was in every tv spot also that um we'll talk about kathy and jimmy soon enough because like what an icon what a performance um there is so much Whoopi goldberg iconography in this movie Hmm. there's um I can't remember what is the line. I should have written it down. What is the line when she when Maggie Smith first has her put on the habit and Whoopi's like, I look like a penguin. And Maggie Smith says something sassy to her. And Whoopi literally does the like hand on the hip, like neck cocked, like like that pose. <laughs> and I'm like, that is um Whoopi Goldberg's sass in like in a nutshell. But like the double Dutch scene. The scene where, um, at the end, where they're performing for the Pope, and she, uh, when the song hits the crescendo, and she does, does sort of like up, the jumping up, up side, the, up, yes, up, yes, 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 exactly. You know, I'm glad we're on the same page with this. Um, it's listen, she's given, she's a Whoopi Goldberg's a great actress, like star. I'm not going to say that this is a better performance than her Celie in The Color Purple, but, like, this is maybe, and, like, Ghost is obviously, like, it's her Oscar win or whatever. I still feel like, in many ways, Sister Act is the definitive Whoopi Goldberg performance for me. Part of that is my age. I'm not old enough to have seen, like, Jumpin' Jack Flash or anything like that, but, or, like, 80s Whoopi, and I know 80s Whoopi, for, like, people who are slightly older than me, is maybe more defining and maybe it's just a a function of my age but like 
I this think this is, is the, the movie where she kind of transitions from theater wonderkin to bona fide movie star, even like after her Oscar, I think. Uh, because Maybe. Obviously, like the amount of money that this movie makes on her shoulders yeah. is part of that. But like, you know, she was known initially for her one woman show that got catapulted to Broadway when Mike Nichols, I believe, came on board as a producer. Exactly. That eventually you know, gets her the job as Seely in Color Purple. Do you know and- how often I watch on YouTube the clip from The View from the morning that Mike Nichols died and them announcing it and sort of eulogizing and Whoopi cannot speak? Like, literally, she keeps trying to talk and she cannot do it. And so, like, Rosie O'Donnell, who was on the panel that at that time, and Nicole Wallace like step in and sort of talk about what Mike Nichols meant to Whoopi Goldberg. I don't think I could watch that. I feel like I would be weeping. It's so touching. It's so sad. But it's also like, and I mean, you know, I am uh, a Mike Nichols fanboy. Um, We'll have that conversation later today. (laughs) We Go over to our Patreon if you want to hear us talk about Mike Nichols. I I will say to like piggyback on this uh, exact thing is like, one of the things that's pointed out in like the Mark Harris book from so many people is like there are a lot of people who felt that way that Whoopi felt in that moment oh, about Mike Nichols. We've talked about Natalie Portman, we've talked about Annette Benning, like all that stuff. Like, yes, like that is that was the gift of Mike Nichols in that like he did have that kind of a relationship with so many great actresses, yeah. especially actors too, I'm sure, but like Actresses especially, he was a tremendous director of actresses, and that is why I'm such a fan. Um, but going back to like like Whoopi as a movie star, there was that like post-color purple, she's in Jumpin' Jack Flash in 1986, which was like a big deal. That's another poster. She's so where, like, funny in that movie. You can picture that one in your head, right? Where she's like doing the like full like jumpin' in the air spread eagle um um above the New York City skyline. Uh, Fatal Beauty, which is a movie I've never seen, but I know that she plays Detective Rita Rizzoli because that is one of the great character names, uh, uh, of all time, Detective Rita Rizzoli. Um, and, you know, she's in a bunch of, you know, movies where, like, she is, they put her in a lot of different situations. I think you see that, too, after Sister Act, where it's just, like, her 90s are very much like, what if Whoopi Goldberg did this? What if, what if Whoopi Goldberg owned a basketball or whatever coached a basketball <laughs> team what if whoopi goldberg Eddie, the associate yeah what, yeah what if whoopi goldberg was a what lawyer? if whoopi hung out with a dinosaur yeah um yeah um but i think your major signposts there are like obviously color purple ghost um she is in soap dish of course uh a crucial role in soap dish part of that great ensemble um but then like sister act Sister Act kicks off like a 1990s of every year had like at least one Whoopi Goldberg movie. What's the Whoopi Goldberg movie this year? Well, it's uh, Made in America, or it's Karina Karina, or it's um, Eddie, as we said, or The Associate, or um, uh, Boys on the Side, even. It was kind of pretty much sold as like, an ensemble movie, but like with Whoopi as like first among equals, um, uh, that kind of a thing. Also, though, I want to mention joins the Star Trek universe as well. She's she joins the Trekkie. Star Trek universe in the late '90s. She, of course, is the center square on the Hollywood squares and does such a tremendous job in that. I just recently rewatched The Player. Speaking of The Player, um, which Whoopi has a supporting role in, and she has the line 
that I remember. Speaking of lines that you remember from the trailer and from all the TV spots, where um, Tim Robbins, she's sort of Tim Robbins is in her office, and um, uh, she's sort of she's not interrogating him, but she's like questioning him, and he's like, "You got the wrong guy," and she goes, "We do not arrest the wrong person in Pasadena. This is Pasadena. We do not arrest the wrong person. That's L.A." And like that line is in uh every single was in every single ad um but yeah uh, uh, some of these like 90s failures to give way towards her being a supporting player in a lot of like prestigious dramas like how still got groove back the deep end of the ocean girl Mm -hmm. interrupted Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and also during this time she's hosting the oscars too and three times i would argue uh gives billy crystal a run for greatest oscar host i would maybe say whoopi is the greatest oscar host that's a strong statement i i am not inclined to disagree although i would probably pick somebody else you know i'm such a huge huge steve martin fan i will say whoopi's hosting of the 2001 academy awards that take place in 2002 the ones right after 9-11, the very sort of like difficult tonal task of those Oscars. They're also one of the longest Oscar ceremonies ever. Um, she does such a great fucking job. That's the one where she opens and she's uh she descends does from the, the ceiling, number, the satine number, the and um it's so well done. So she hosted four times. She hosted the Schindler's List Oscars, the um, 1995 Braveheart Oscars, the Shakespeare in Love Oscars, and the uh, the 2001 uh, Beautiful Mind Oscars. So, four times, I would say, like, it's so funny because, like, she was never that well-reviewed. Remember how I've talked about how, like, TV critics have ruined the Oscars? Um, right. And I think that's part of what I talk about when I say, like, Every single time Whoopi would host the Oscars, she would get bad reviews. And it was, people really did not like her joke style. They, I remember reading a lot of critics talk about how, like, she laughs too much at her jokes when they bomb. It's just like, okay, like, first of all, petty. Second of all, like, she's such a good MC for those, right? Uh, you know, for that crowd, especially her crowd work. I always talk about the one where it's two moments from the 98 Oscars. Um, one where they come back from commercial and Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn are still trying to get into their seats. Um, and their seats are like in the middle of a row. And she just like stops, Whoopi just stops what she's saying and just like, hey, Kurt, hey, Goldie. She's just like, and just sort of <laughs> chatting with them as they're finding their seats. It's great. And then that same one, they did the gimmick where for all the costume design nominees, she would walk out at a different point in the show dressed in the costumes. That's when she dressed up in like the velvet gold mine outfit and whatever. And so the one, she walks out uh, dressed in the costumes from Beloved, and she's just sort of, like, makes this, like, really sardonic joke. She's like, can't believe they got me. She's, she's you know, talking about how, like, all these other women get to dress up so glamorous, and she goes, and I'm looking like Topsy. And it gets little, like, titters in the, and then she just looks out in the crowd, and she goes, and she shouts out Debbie Allen, and she goes, To present the Foreign Language Film Award, a legendary international screen beauty. It's great. She gonna look phenomenal. I'm out here looking like Topsy. Thank you, Debbie. I think we're the only ones who know top, who a Topsy is, child. 
And it's just like it's so wonderful. I uh I I treasure that moment. Um Whoops. Okay. I think Whoopi is also, especially at that time, someone who was famous to everyone. Oh, like, yes. Drew people together. Like, we talk about four quadrant movies. Sister Act is like a nine million quadrant movie. I feel yes. like, especially for our generation, like, we watched this movie as full-blooded children. Like, right. I I right. don't remember much of my movie obsessive life without Sister Act. Like, Whoopi is probably yeah. the first famous, perf- one of the first, if not the first. Like, it's her and maybe Julia Roberts that I'm like, I know who this famous person is because mm-hmm. they are in movies. Well, and she was also famous for her look. She had, you know, the 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 braids and whatnot and the sunglasses and... Of course, the stage name, you know what I mean? Like, it's right. it's everything about Whoopi Goldberg was iconic, especially at that moment. I, I would argue still is. Like, the fact that she's been hosting The View for, you know, uh, all this time and whatever. She's still producing memes out there, too. Mm-hmm. Nothing better than the video of her with a pause going, okay. <laughs> right, right. Exactly, exactly. Um, It's... uh. Listen, it's 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 been an experience uh, being part of the Whoopi Goldberg era of fame. Uh, but right, like a classic movie star, a classic Hollywood star in every you know sense of the word, really helped to define the late '80s and and '90s. I think at the movies and Sister Act, I think is a definitive mainstream comedy of the '90s. If you're talking about like the most like classic down the middle does what it needs to do high concept right what if Whoopi goldberg was a nut sold you know what i mean like all you had to do is say that and um but carries it off so well with such charm and what if nuns sang a bunch of leslie gore songs like yeah absolutely <laughs> right exactly exactly the music yeah the music she gets to really uh show off her talent with music which i think is really you know a lot of fun just from the beginning scene where it's her and Jennifer Lewis, and I can't remember the name of the other woman who plays the, her other backup singer, um, but performing at the lounge in Reno, and the very first thing you see, they're performing like you know my guy and and um, uh, all these sort of like girl group songs, and she's struggling, she's struggling to get the mic off of the mic stand, <laughs> and it's one of those things where it's just like you, if you're just sort of like listening and like halfway paying attention, you're on your phone or whatever, you're not really going to notice. But she's like, she's so frustrated trying to get this mic off of the stand. And all the other, like, they're half-heartedly going through this performance. And, like, obviously it's all meant to communicate that, like, she is, you know, at the end of her rope in Reno. And she's not, you know, the thrill is gone, all this sort of stuff. And at one point, Jennifer Lewis, as they're going into, like, their closing number, is just like, let's just get this over. Like, like let's get off the stage. We gotta, we gotta end this. Um... And then she's throwing in at the end where like uh she's like, you don't give a shit, yelling to the to the uh, crowd of people who are like <laughs> on their slot machines at the bottom of their glass of whiskey or whatever. Nobody cares. Um, and then she uses that meta- that uh, that vision later to help motivate Sister Mary Robert to sing out. And it's wonderful. Um it's a well constructed movie for what it is. You yeah, know it's a I machine. Mean? It's yeah. it's a perfect comedy. Yeah. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, all right. To get into, I think we talked about the Whoopi Goldberg of it. 
to get into the sort of like writer director aspect of it. So this comes from a script from Paul Rudnick. Who is Paul Rudnick? He is a writer. He is a writer um, who has uh, you is one of those people who you look at his filmography and it's like, oh, okay, like all of these movies that I've heard before, and you can and it starts Gay to make shit. sense that like, oh, all of this stuff kind of like makes sense. He's uh, a uh, a gay writer who wrote, uh, who like went to Ivy League, right? He went to Yale. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he's like incredibly like well, you know, uh, well healed and whatnot. Wrote a lot for magazines for these big sort of glossy mags like Vogue and Vanity Fair and Esquire and all this sort of stuff. Um, and Including then film criticism under a female pseudonym. Oh right, what's the? F- I can never remember. It's um. Oh shit! It, Hold on, let me look this. Like up. Libby Waxman or something like that, right? Shit. Um, it's Libby Gelman Waxner. Yes, yes, is the, is the pseudonym. Yes, uh, wrote for a column for uh, Premiere, uh, I believe, is where that column was. Um, but like, did a lot of uh, uh, playwright uh, was it was a you know playwright for a while. Obviously, the the. One that crosses over into a film is a play that he wrote called Jeffrey that was remade that was made into a film starring uh, Tony Goldwyn, Patrick Stewart, right? It's is it Tony Goldwyn? It's not Tony it, Goldwyn. It's the one that looks like Tony Goldwyn. It's um Stephen, Stephen Weber? Weber. Stephen Weber from Wings, yes. Um, and then wrote the sorry. Trying to bring up his IMDb page. He did Adam's Family Values. He was one of the ghostwriters on the original Adam's Family. Gets the gig for Adam's Family Values. Makes it incredibly gay and wonderful. Yes. In um, and out, famously. In and out, famously. Um, Marcy X, famously. Um, How could we sold- ever forget Marcy X? I mean, easily. But also... Um, uh Lisa Kudrow vehicle Marcy X. Um it's just a lot of very recognizable mainstream 90s comedies that have, if not a specifically gay narrative like In and Out or Jeffrey, they have elements to it that it's no accident that gay people have sort of uh, glommed onto, right? Or um, he writes something like the Stepford Wives remake, which has appeal to only gay people. <laughs> right. And has, I would say, a fairly, I've talked about this before, maybe not on the podcast, maybe just with you, about the like the oddly uh, forward thinking depiction of the gay couple where it's this conflict between assimilation and not, mm-hmm. which... I think in 2004 kind of presaged the post marriage equality vision of of gay debate. Right. Do you know what I mean? There's so much about that Stepford Wives remake that I'm ready to show up guns a blazing, ready to defend, but that movie does completely fall apart. <laughs> it does. It does. But that but it's an interesting failure. Like I was right. very glad when I ended up watching it. Um because I avoided it for so long because it has such a bad reputation. But, well, um, but Rudnick was also attached to Sister Act when it was still going to be a Bette Midler project, and it's interesting that he 
Mm-hmm. And Bette Midler remained so close. I believe he was also one of the ghostwriters on First Wives Club. He also mm. did the <laughs> misbegotten Isn't She Great, the Jacqueline Suzanne biopic that she starred in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, very much so. Um, But again, it's just sort of a a real working writer in, you know, that sort of classic sense, in that sort of almost like merrily we roll along sense where you know you're just sort of like you know you're getting a a feature article wherever you can you're you're getting your work out there however you can and um an interesting personality for sure and then you talk about also then director emil ardolino who directed most uh, most famously besides a sister act directed dirty dancing um but also directed movies like uh, Three Men and a Little Lady, and uh, Chances Are, which is the one the movie. Remember when I described to you the plot of Chances Are, starring Sybil Shepherd and Robert Downey Jr. and Ryan O'Neill, the movie that uh, then the uh, that After All is nominated for in the yeah. original song, <laughs> um, where uh, uh, Sybil Shepherd's husband dies and is reincarnated as Robert Downey Jr., who then unbeknownst to the reincarnate like doesn't know that he's the reincarnated ryan o'neill and falls in love with um the 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 daughter played by mary stewart masterson it's wild um double feature it with birth yeah yes uh and then also gypsy did i mention gypsy the night that made for speaking of gypsy bet midler the best filmed version of gypsy with it was for tv and now i I guess that it's kind of hard to get your hands on this. I think. Let me pull up this. Did I tell you? Uh, well, I didn't. I've never said it on the podcast, but my when I went on vacation, uh, the house that we stayed at on vacation in the summer, and I was trying to get you to go home with it because I think that DVD is out of print. The DVD for Gypsy, but I was able to um, uh, copy the the file onto my computer, so I have on my computer. A pirated uh, 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 Bette Midler Gypsy, which I oh, don't it's think... currently available. You can watch it on Freevee and Crackle. God bless Freevee, man! Uh, what a great year for Freevee. Uh, jury duty, primo, and you can watch the Bette Midler Gypsy. Uh, 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 who could ask for it? All you need. What else do you need? All you need. Um, uh, Emil Ardolino uh, tragically died of AIDS in 1993, so not very long after. Um. Uh, Sister Act and Gypsy. Gypsy was the last made two movies after Sister Act: The Nutcracker, The Misbegotten. Um, uh, oh no, it's Culkin. not the Macaulay. Cul- it is the Macaulay Culkin Nutcracker. Right. It is. It's got to be. Um, and then the the Bette Midler Gypsy uh, uh, died of AIDS in late 1993. One of a, uh, a generation of great talented people who we lost to AIDS. Um, but like, what a legacy! If if nothing else, you made Dirty Dancing, you made Sister Act. Like that's a you made goddamn legacy happy. right there. Yeah, exactly, exactly right. Um, so Sister Act opens in the spring of 1992. I am all of 11 years old. I must have seen that in theaters, but I don't really have a specific memory of it. Um, my little my my one sister who would have been seven at the time. So maybe we didn't. Maybe we waited until it came out on video. 
Um, because I remember she's the one I remember watching this one with most often. Um, but it's a huge hit. $231 million worldwide, over 130 domestic, which back in the early 90s is like a massive hit. I should see where it landed on the yearly box office because I bet you it was pretty high for 1992. 1992's top grossing movie. Do you want to take a guess at it? Is it. What? What did we mention from that? It has to be Beauty and. Well, yeah, it's Beauty and the Beast. No, Beauty, Beauty and the Beast was the 91. Beast 91. I'm talking about like in year releases. But oh. I am not Jasmine. I am Aladdin. Aladdin, number one for that year with 217 million dollars. Sister Act finished number six on the year behind Aladdin, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, Batman Returns, uh, which go check out the uh podcast like it's 1992 feed and listen to Chris and me talk about the wonderful Batman Returns on that podcast. Uh, Lethal Weapon 3, A Few Good Men, and then Sister Act. So, Sister Act spent the entire summer in the top 10. Yeah. Yeah. Huge hit. Huge hit. Um, Which is why, ultimately, it's a two-time Golden Globe nominee, also. Because in musical or comedy, you have... uh, I love... I... Catch me simping for the Golden Globes on the regular, but like, <laughs> sorry, but like, I love the way that the musical or comedy best picture category is often composed in the at the Golden Globes, where it's like you've got your two or three comedies that are positioning themselves for Oscars, and some years the 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 you know the balance is is different, but like your two or three movies that are co- positioning themselves for Oscars. Then you have maybe one movie that's like from England or, you know, rarely every once in a while from France. What's Gerard Depardieu, Depardieu uh, up to right now? <laughs> and then you've got like one or two um, mainstream comedies that did well. You know what I mean? Like mainstream comedies that succeeded. And I think you look at the 1992 Golden Globe lineup uh, for musical or comedy, and it's like, yeah, okay, so the winner is the player. Because the player was positioning itself for major awards, Robert Altman. I this was like a big comeback uh, project for Altman, as as I recall. It's the year before Shortcuts, too. I think Shortcuts is the year after. So yeah, the player yeah. and then Shortcuts um, are he gets back to back lone director nominations at the Oscars, which is uh, uh, always really incredible to think of. So the player wins Best Picture Musical or Comedy. Aladdin is nominated, which is like massive hit. It's Disney. This is before they... It's a musical. Uh, uh, it's a musical. This is when they still allowed animated movies to be nominated uh, in musical or comedy rather than their own little category. Um, then we take a trip across the pond to England for Enchanted April, uh, another movie that showed up in the Oscar nominations, uh, got a supporting actress nod for Joan Plowright. And then uh, for the hits of that year, and like 1992 had no shortage of mainstream comedy hits to choose from. So the ones that the Golden Globes uh, chose were two Nevada-based films, um, uh, Sister Act and Honeymoon in Vegas. So they had Reno to Vegas. From Reno to Vegas, everything was covered. Center of the comedy universe, Nevada. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, So it's an interesting... I look at the movies of 1992, though, and you look at like what other comedies might have made it in there instead of let's say the honeymoon in vegas slot which like 
I watched Honeymoon in Vegas when I was little. I've not watched it since I was probably in my teenage years. Um, I'm not sure it holds up, but like, who could say? Maybe I'll watch it again and I'll, but like 1992 comedies that could have made it in there. A League of Their Own, let's just say. I mean. I mean. Uh, Wayne's World, which is like not the Golden Globes cup of tea at all. I would have never expected Wayne's World, but like it was a massive hit. And like that is a movie that does hold up. Like you go back and watch Wayne's World and like that is a well-constructed dumb comedy. You know what I mean? It does dumb <laughs> comedy so well, I think. Um, I bet you they would have characterized White Men Can't Jump as a comedy, even though there are like the dramatic elements to that movie. Um, what else? What else? What else? My beloved house sitter, of course, Death Becomes Her, My Cousin Vinny. Um, My Cousin Vinny not getting that nomination is very, very... Surprising, right? It's very surprising. Strange. And Honeymoon in Vegas made less money than all those. Honeymoon in Vegas only made $35 million and was the number 41 movie of the year. So, like, all of those movies that I've mentioned previously... um. I wonder if Honeymoon in Vegas was just fresher on people's minds, maybe? Columbia Pictures got on their horse for that one, and they were like, listen, we gotta make it happen. Um, It did make more money than Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, though, so I guess that's why Stop or My Mom Will Shoot did not get nominated. (laughs) Um, But anyway, yeah, like, there's... This movie used people that gets multiple acting nominations at the Globes in comedy? Right. Well, that seems to me where it's just like, Show a bunch of maybe older uh, foreign press members a movie with like, is that Marcello Mastriani and and Shirley MacLaine who both get nominated? Is that? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Also, um, Mr. Saturday Night, the Billy Crystal movie that gets David Paymer a nomination. Have but not I seen believe that movie. that's a drama. Would not change that nomination for the world. Billy Crystal's that... nominated in musical or comedy, though. Oh, yes. Oh, interesting. Well, then I guess they did characterize it as a comedy. Um. Yeah, who were the acting nominations in musical or comedy that year? That's probably instructive, huh? Uh, Tim Robbins wins for The Player, also opposite Billy Crystal, Mr. Saturday Night, Nicolas Cage, Honeymoon in Vegas, the aforementioned Marcel- Marcello Mastroianni for Used People, Tim Robbins for Bob Roberts as well. A so dark like- comedy, right? Like a, a sort of bleak um, uh, political... Election comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, thing. Actress in a musical or comedy is where Whoopi shows up for Sister Act. Uh, Loses uh, to Miranda Richardson for Enchanted April. Which is, I think, a function of Oscar momentum there. Sure, sure. But she's not nominated for Enchanted April. Plus, she was a double nominee that year. And and there was a lot of, I think in the 90s, there was more of a, well, if somebody's double nominated, they really should win somewhere. Um uh, sentiment to it and she's nominated in supporting for damage which is where she ends up nominated at the oscars um but yeah miranda richardson and joan plowright both winning for enchanted april they fucking loved that movie um right which feels uh, right for the globes like that feels like a very globesy kind of a movie gina davis for a league of their own shirley mclean for used people and meryl for death becomes her no goldie Hawn. right which i have to say, having not say seen it. Used People. I know, I don't want to like throw Shirley out with the bathwater for a movie I haven't seen. I but. have to say, Miranda Richardson, who I love, who yeah. I think is incredible in Damages. Damage. This is Highway Robbery. Oh, agreed. 
highway robbery over all all of G- Gina or all of Whoopi her fellow or Meryl. I will just yes. say because Shirley MacLaine is Shirley, Shirley MacLaine. Yeah. So if they're giving globes to Madame Susatska for Shirley <laughs> MacLaine, maybe Shirley MacLaine has enough Golden Globes. Fair, but fair. Um, I think but, we should do that movie eventually, just to Madame Susatska. Yes, it, we should see whatever the hell Madame Susatska is. Gary, if you've seen get a, Madame Susatska, talk to us. Yeah, if you've if you've been a former guest on this show and want to claim Madame Susatska as uh, as your next uh, episode of this at Oscar Buzz, get at us because uh, 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 that could be fun. Um, but yeah, I think I'm just in a very justice for the unnominated comedies of '92 place for uh, uh, for the Golden Globes this year. But what are you going to do? Um. I think A League of Their Own in general was probably worthy of quite a bit of uh, extra attention. More than it ever ended up receiving. Yeah, yeah. In terms it is of kind of a kick in the ass for uh, for Goldie Hawn to not get nominated uh, alongside Street because it is such a classic two-hander and she's so good. Like, Meryl's great. You know what I mean? Like, Meryl's They're, they're both, both incredible in that movie. There was a certain level of distaste for that movie at the time, though. You go back and you read some of these yes. reviews. Yes. It was also a very expensive movie that I think barely broke even or, like, was just yeah. shy of breaking even. I can also admit that, like, Death Becomes Her is a lopsided movie that is, like, way better in its first half than its second I... half. The second half really kind of tapers off. Um... Uh, for a while, there's a lot of Bruce Willis running around a mansion trying to. Willis is so funny. In he that is movie. funny in that. It's true. It's and true. reviews. I, re- if I remember correctly, were absolutely not kind to Bruce Willis. But I think Bruce Willis is so funny in that movie. That movie, I love that movie so much. You um, talk about no classic surprise. first time I ever saw an actor in a movie. That was absolutely the first time I had ever seen Isabella Rossellini in anything. I, that was course, absolutely the first time. Never I ever seen saw Blue Streep. Velvet, you know what I mean? And so you first time you'd ever seen who? Meryl Streep. Get out of I here. I didn't really realize like there there was a moment that had to dawn on me that, oh, that's Meryl. Uh-huh. Like I knew Meryl for other things as Meryl Streep after I was already a child obsessed yeah. with Death Becomes Her because yeah. like I liked spooky things kind of, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But like I feel like I've talked about this before. My mom's favorite actress is Goldie Hawn, or at least that's no, what I love she claimed that. Oh, as a I kid. Love that. So it's like, this is why I love House Sitter and all of that. So it's like, when I saw oh, Death Becomes Her perfect. and loved Death Becomes Her as a kid, yeah. I knew it as a Goldie Hawn movie. Sure. That makes sense. And now that you mention that, I prob- there are probably are not too many Meryl movies that I would have seen before Death Becomes Her. Like, I definitely was aware of She Devil at the time, so I may have seen She Devil first, but like that may be those may be the first two Merrills that I ever saw. Um Death Becomes Her was like a big, big mainstream uh uh hit, so I definitely wanted yeah. to see that one as soon as it came out on video. Um, effects nominee. And rightly so. Great movie. Uh, but anyway, so the first thing I'd ever seen Isabella Rossellini in was was Death Becomes Her. And of course, it's so like that scene with her where the only the only top she's wearing is this like bib of jewels that is like only strategically covering up her nipples to avoid the the R rating. You watch the Blu-ray and you can definitely see the little like pasties. Pasties, yeah, I bet, yeah. I bet. Um, but she's also like she's funny, but not, not in a way that death. you would appreciate as a like when I saw that movie when I was thirteen. You know what I mean? Right. Where it's just like. 
mostly it was just like this woman is being like very overtly sexual in a way that I'm like, well, what's going on here? Um, and now you watch it and it's just like, oh, she's very funny. Like the, uh, the, you know, very dry, dryly funny and like playing off. But like the part where she talks about like, um, as, as one of our f- clients famously said, I want to be alone. Like that kind of thing. Um, <laughs> but now you look at. She's terrific. Isabella Rossellini in the last 15 years of her career, I would say kickstarting with her guest appearance on 30 Rock. I want full stake in the Arby's franchises we bought outside of Telluride. Oh, damn it, Johnny. You know I love my big beef and cheddar. <laughs> uh, that whole thing. But now she's almost like, she's ex- not exclusively, but like she's so often so well deployed as comedic support. Or, you know, like, obviously, like, I loved her as the voice she in Marcel She just rolls show. into La Chimera and is funny. Exactly. Like. Exactly. She, I don't know, I don't think you watch uh, the Julia Child show on I uh, Max. No. Uh, she's hysterically funny. She plays, um, uh, if you've seen Julia and Julia, she plays uh, Simka, the co-author yes. of the cookbook, who in the movie is portrayed as this, like, flaky, like, whatever. And in the TV show, she's, like, so wildly jealous of Julia at, like, every turn, but also they're best friends, but also, like, she kind of can't stand her. And it's such a funny performance. Um, she's really, Isabella really Rossellini, good. I think, is one of the most self-aware of her persona. Yeah. Her screen persona performers. Yes. That yes. she knows exactly. It what enables her to be very funny without ever appearing to try to be very funny. Yep. Because I think the comedy that she gives in Death Becomes Her is so effortless. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's some things that I'm like, this is a little effortful, maybe a little too self-aware, like Marcel the Shell. Even oh, I she's love the best her. Thing about that movie. I, you and I have a fundamental impasse about that movie i love that movie so much <laughs> Sorry. um how dare you um but anyway where are we how did we get into this conversation oh the golden Globes. we're talking about the golden globes comedy yes, yes, yes this is a good time i feel like we maybe talked about this a little bit on our mirror has two faces patreon episode mm-hmm. it's not like we talk about comedy oscars and i think because like as the 90s progressed and then getting into the like self serious Oscars of the aughts, yeah, comedy Oscars eventually kind of die out. But like, yeah, I think supporting actress especially has a lot of, yeah, you know, and like this is the year that Marissa Tomei wins. This is the year that Marissa Tomei wins. Uh, you look at, yeah, you have as you go through the years. Joan Cusack in In and Out and Melissa McCarthy in Bridesmaids and that kind of thing. It definitely comedy performances come uh, come out more often. <clears throat> excuse me, in the supporting categories. But I I also I always think of you have your handful of nominations from like pure what I would call like pure comedies like Goldie Hawn and Private Benjamin. I think is a pretty like down the middle comedy. Tom Hanks and Big, even though there are emotional moments. I think that's mostly, you know, straight up and down comedy. Um, Dean Stockwell gets nominated for Married to the Mob in 1988, but I think there is a world in which Michelle Pfeiffer probably should have been nominated for that movie as well. She's so funny in that. Um, But, like, she gets snubbed for that. Rupert Everett is snubbed in 97 for My Best Friend's Wedding. I think more often, for comedy performances to get nominated, there has to be something else. Comedy plus drama. Like, Whoopi and Ghost is a comedy performance 
inside of a drama. Kathleen Turner and Peggy Sue got married as a comedy performance inside this sort of like fantasy romance. Sharon Moonstruck is a comedy drama. You know, Meryl and Postcards from the Edge is comedy drama, that kind of a thing. I think All it's of the also, James L. Brooks stuff. Trajectory thing, usually, too, because yeah. Whoopi wins for Ghost after almost winning for Color Purple. Cher mm-hmm. wins for Moonstruck after almost winning for Silkwood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think, think that's true. I mean, it, I do think that there's a lot of examples in the 80s and 90s of like comedy performances getting nominated. And I think even if you remove like the Woody Allen examples, there's still a lot yeah. of examples to go because like. You have Bullets Over Broadway, you have Mighty Aphrodite, both winning comedy supporting Oscars yeah. in the 90s. But I but I do think there is a difference between a comedy, a sort of a comedy with quote unquote heft to it, or a comedy with gravitas to it, and a like straight up mainstream comedy, a performance in a death becomes her or sister act or a league of their own you know what i mean and even a league of their own has like other elements to it but like there there has to be something where voters can be like all right it's a comedy but it's also a really great romance oh it's also a really great you know she has these really great dramatic moments or whatever and sister act doesn't really bother with that it doesn't bother giving Whoopi this like you know big dramatic whatever she's just funny throughout and it's just you know and I and think, I mean, like, the stage musical, <clears throat> I never saw it because... I did, actually. It just felt like the type of thing where it's like, first of all, sick of these movie adaptations being on Broadway. Agreed. Second of all, there's a 0% chance that it even approaches the heights of the movie. Right. But yeah, right. I, they they give Mother Superior more dramatic moments, right, in the musical? I'm going to say I don't remember very much. I know I, I, know you, I saw you could it, but see I don't the, remember very the, much. How the inclination could be there mm. in the movie. Like, if mm. this was made today, they would give the Mother Superior a sad monologue about something, right? Would tell a story about something from her young, days as a young nun, whatever her trauma, jaded her. What, what made her become this sort of very strict disciplinarian. Yeah. Let's talk about Maggie Smith uh, for a second, though, because I couldn't swear to it, but I feel like this was also, if not a comeback for Maggie Smith, like was a, a the beginning of a much more visible period in her career than had been for like um, you know the the eighties. She is nominated, of course, for a Room of the View. Um, that year hold on a second <laughs> so she of course is a two-time academy award winner she wins 1969 for the prime of miss jean brody best actress uh good movie a movie that sort of is the 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 title feels a little fancy and prim for what the movie actually is like the movie is uh really full of these sort of like radical ideas and like a darkness to her character that is really satisfying yeah, possibly questionable politics with this character yeah um but it's a great performance 
And then she wins uh, at the end of the 70s in 1978 for California Suite, a film I have not seen, but I believe you have. We've talked about this before. Uh, she, that is a very interesting Oscar win to me because I think that movie's kind of actively terrible. I don't think she's particularly great in it, though I guess I understand how, like, if you're going to be appreciating that movie she's probably going to be one of the top things that you appreciate about it. Yeah. Her, she's playing opposite Michael Caine, who is vaguely closeted as her husband. And she basically spends, it, it, it's kind of like a, a, a very episodic movie between all of these different stories. So it's like their portion of the story. She just spends basically being like, well, why won't you fuck me? Why are you gay? Um, She's on a mission to get her gay husband to have sex with her. Basically. She barks the F-slur at him. Wow. And I was like, wow, Oscar-winning F-slur performance. Great. Uh, Never, I don't think I can think of another one that's not, like, I don't know, a macho gangster role. Right. Oh, wow. Um, She's also, by the way, nominated for 1972's Travels with My Aunt, which I've never seen. Have you ever seen that movie? I have not, but uh, sounds like something I would like. I know, same. Um, So her 1980s, I mean, of course... 1981, she's in Clash of the Titans, playing uh, the goddess Thetis, so uh, let's not forget that. Among uh, Laurence Olivier, who are the the gods in uh, Clash of the Titans? Um, Burgess Meredith, Laurence Olivier, Ursula Andress, Sean Phillips, Claire Bloom. It's a real, uh, it's a real murderer's row, uh, flanking Harry Hamlin at the center of uh, Clash of the Titans. That was a movie... We watched a lot. That was that was a uh, my dad. That was a fave of my dad. So my dad would always uh, sit us down and we'd watch Clash of the Titans. Um, but it's a lot of like British stuff that doesn't really cross over in a major way in the eighties, seemingly for Maggie Smith. And I am speaking completely out of my ass. So feel free to correct me. But like, no, movies, no, 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 like, no. One imagines she was probably doing more theater in the eighties. One imagines, well. yes, yes. Um, um, Room with a view, her and Judy Dench as just two oh, lady friends so. going about. It is a glimpse into our future, my friend. I love a room with a view so much. I saw it for the first time only a few years ago. Um Incredible. tremendous movie. She's sort of the she's not like the loser of that movie, but she is kind of like a, you know, like everything she tries to do to help her niece just does not work. Cousin, niece cousin who's to say in these yes. type of whatever everything she tries to do to try and guide helena bonham carter to uh, uh success does not work and ultimately everybody else has to be like no you're in love with this guy you're in love with it's julian sands right the late julian sands yes. yeah um what a great movie you're right though about her and judy dench in that uh in that one um, I guess the first thing I would have seen uh, Maggie Smith in, though, would have been the year before Sister Act, when she is old Wendy in Hook. Yes. Uh, uh, she's old Wendy. I think it's Gwyneth Paltrow is young Wendy yes. in that movie. That's a movie that I had no idea critics hated so much when I first saw <laughs> that movie. Like, that's a movie where, that's another one where we taped it off of television and watched it constantly. We watched Hook so many times. I was like, Dustin Hoffman is giving one of the greatest performances I have ever seen in this movie. Uh, I loved it. I had no idea then when I grew up and finally like was like reading about these things that like 
Spielberg's worst movie, Total Disaster, almost derails Julia Roberts' career. Um, everybody hated it. It was, uh... I had some concept of the reception of this movie when I was a kid, because I remember liking it as a kid, and everyone else in the room being like, that sucked. Like adults or kids? Kids and adults. Really? Oh, I don't know. I just like, know that I my remember one time asking if it. we could rent Hook, and my mom being like, no. <laughs> <laughs> See, your mom was plugged into the critic, the, 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 the literati of it all. Um, no, yeah, I had, it was such a surprise to me when I, uh, growing up, finding out that Newsies and Hook were so reviled. And I was like, well, that's like half of my childhood viewing was those two movies. So watching Hook as an adult, I can't get on board with Hook revisionism. What do you mean? Uh, of people that are like, Hook's actually a really great movie. It's not, but it's also people not. People just this... want to be revisionist about it's, movies that it's are not, not well this awful. Sometimes. It is. It's. I will still stick up for it in a little bit and just say it's not this awful thing that people say. There's an energy no, to no, it. No, no, there's no, no, no. It's kind. Of, I mean, like there's things about it that are really fascinating. I think for these type of adventure movies for children, it's one of the best looking of them. It's one of the most imaginative. Yeah. You know, it's not like tire spinning like some of these. I don't know, Percy Jackson's, etc. I think people at the time were really, really annoyed that instead of being a Peter Pan movie, it was uh, about Robin Williams, an adult businessman who uh, has a bad relationship with his kids, and that it's like so much about like his kids or whatever. Like that never bothered me. Like that's, you know, you need to recreate the Peter Wendy. John, Wendy Michael John, Wendy Michael John, um, uh, you know, aspect of it. Whatever, whatever. It's also a movie Glenn that's Close just like plays a man who gets put into the boo box and yeah, <laughs> the boo box. Yeah, oh, maybe we should be putting things in the boo box. Maybe this is Hook's lasting. That's our twenty twenty four thing. We're putting uh things we don't like in the boo box. The the in out so five minutes ago. Uh, yes, out. Burn books in, in boo the box. boo box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So five minutes ago, the shit list. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think Hook is just like one of those things that's so... It, it, maybe it's the Spielberg thing. Maybe it's a conglomeration of other things. But it's just like, this is too big for its own good. Like, why is Julia Roberts Tinkerbell? Why is Robin Williams Peter Pan? Yeah. Keep Dustin Hoffman as Hook. I will. I will be positive there. I liked us keep Hoffman Bob Hoskins Hook. because always keep Bob Hoskins. Yes, you um, you going to a fantasy world of Neverland as you know, let's say a teenager. You're let's say you're the oldest of the kids, whatever, and you go uh, into Neverland, and it's like it's fun, but it's scary, and there's a man with a hook, and like there's you know the the boys who can fly, and and everybody's running around, and then who catches your eye? Bob Hoskins as as Smee, and you just spend the whole movie like with hearts or in your eyes, and you're just like so enamored of of Bob Hoskins as Smee, and you're just like you have a little schoolboy crush on Smee. I think that's adorable. Uh, I don't think that's quite how that went down. Fine, but you know, fine. There was already Eddie Valiant. What more do you mean? Well, but Eddie Valiant is a sexual dynamo. Like, Smee is just like- He wears you know, a tie without a shirt. I mean- Sure does. Yeah. Sex. 
That's and our first uh, the, This Had Oscar Buzz merch t-shirt, is Eddie Valiant as a sexual dynamo. Um, <laughs> but again, it's copyrighted uh, character information. Um, yeah. But it's true. Anyway, um, Maggie Smith, all right, Maggie Smith in Sister Act. I think she gives a great performance. It is also, I think, a crucial, like, two turns of the dial away from the sort of the Maggie Smith stock character who we end up. We have Maggie Smith in the, like, post-Harry Potter uh, uh, of it all has two modes, like, one of which is Dowager Countess and the other of which is uh, Yaya Sisterhood. She's either, like... Like, sort of, like, not body, but just sort of like, oh, like, well, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah, have yeah, us yeah, a drink. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the other is, like, just any number of repetitions of Gosford Park, Dowager Countess, you know, that whole kind of thing. I think in Sister Act, there's, you could, you, you're sort of tempted to put her into that prim sort of like you know um stern box and she sort of is but like she shows a lot of color in this in this performance i will forever uh have in my mind the way that she says boogie woogie uh (laughs) the way maggie smith pronouncing boogie woogie is uh is so funny to me she's very funny in a way that i don't think i laughed at anything she said as a kid seeing this movie but watching it now she is actually very funny and very shady but it's not quite the downton abbey right 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 um and it's also like that's kind of your emotional arc of the movie too is her and sister mary clarence sort of finally getting on the same page by the end one thing I never noticed until I watched it this time is the part where they just give their like I think they had just done like my god or whatever at the at the at the mass and the the monsignor comes to tell them or, or no she she comes to tell them um that the pope is coming to visit and uh and she says well now that it's the pope I think it's probably prudent to go back to a more traditional uh, uh, style of singing. We don't want to, you know, be so extravagant for the Pope. And Mary Clarence is like, but he's only coming because we are doing it differently. So why would we change it up? And so uh, Mother Superior calls for a vote. And as soon as she does that, Mary Clarence, sort of like her eyes get downcast. And she's almost like, don't do this. Because like Mary Clarence knows how this vote's going to go. And Mary Clarence does not relish like shoving it in Mother Superior's face that she's sort of won the loyalty of these nuns away from it's like it's it's a remarkably like emotionally complex little scene that you don't yeah. pick up on when you're like watching it as a kid. But now you watch it, it's just like, oh, she does not want this woman to realize how much she's lost her convent in this moment. Mm-hmm. And she knows if she calls for a vote, that's what's gonna happen. And she's like she's not uh, Mary Clarence is sort of sad in that moment to have to be you know, the person who has taken the loyalty of these nuns away from her. Like, not to get like serious about it, but like it's 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 a it's a good moment. It's a yeah. it's a solid moment. This is a well put together for a movie that could movie. be a, just a stupid comedy. Yeah. Can we talk I don't about think this ever veers into that territory of being dumb? Yeah. Can we talk about the indomitable trio that is Kathy and Jimmy, Wendy McKenna, and Mary Wicks in this movie? I mean. I mean, Mary Wicks, 
Uh, maybe my favorite of the three, I do have to confess. Oh. But... If you know me at all, you know that Mary Wicks is by far my favorite of the three. Okay, I love good, her good, so good, much. good, good. Then I, I can say that without shame or fear of yeah. you yelling at me for not no the other two. No. Mary Wicks, who would also, who such a, is so good at being part of a trio, she would become one of the trio of gargoyles in Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, shit. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. It's her, Jason Alexander, and Leonard Nimoy or something? Wait, I know it's Jason. I knew it was Jason Alexander. I didn't know about Leonard Nimoy. It Look might at that be someone up. like a Leonard Nimoy. That's amazing. First of all, hold please. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I fucking love Mary Wicks. Are you kidding me? She's Mary amazing. Wicks, who's known for is both Sister Act movies, Hunchback of Notre Dame, and White Christmas. I challenge you to name a better known for. Than- um, I'm just going through her. Um awards tab which is sadly tragically lacking um she was nominated for an american comedy award for this performance in sister act as sister mary lazarus and then she is a one-time primetime emmy nominee in 1962 for her supporting performance in something called the gertrude berg show the uh the log line for which says a middle-aged widow enrolls in college as a freshman when her children are grown up, and her experience of life outside academia, together with her gentle humor and emotional dignity, prove an invaluable asset to the students' young minds. Gertrude Berg. I don't know who Gertrude Berg was, but clearly uh, she carried this show to 26 whole episodes. So, good for Gertrude. I will say. Um, <laughs> nobody else. Oh, Mary oh, Ross. Did was the, it show. was a uh, release after she died. It was posthumous. What was? Uh, her performance in uh, Hunchback. It's Charles Kimbrough, not Leonard. Why did I think it was Leonard Nimoy? Does Leonard Nimoy have a weird Disney credit somewhere like this where it's he plays possible. something like a gargoyle? It's possible. So Hunchback was 96. She was, uh, Mary Wicks also played Aunt March in the 1994 Little mm-hmm. Women, the, the, the role that uh, Meryl Streep plays in the Greta Gerwig version. Um, White Christmas, I sh- I, you know what's funny is, I don't know if I've ever seen White Christmas all the way through. I know I've seen, like, scenes from White Christmas, maybe. You need to watch it today. I was going to say, like, before Monday, I've got to watch White Christmas. Maybe that's... Maybe that's the plan and watch uh, Queen Mary Wicks in that movie. She is the, the the line that I wrote down and I could have written a bunch is very early on before she's sort of like become like she's before she's uh, defrosted towards uh, Sister Mary Clarence <laughs> when they're they're talking about their all all of their experiences and when they got the call and Mary Clarence is sort of like uh, uh, weaving this like bullshitty tale about at her old convent or whatever. And um Mary Lazarus just talks about her old convent in Vancouver where they were outside all the time. And the Canadian Queen. And and Kathy to Jimmy's like, oh, that must have been lovely. And she just goes, it was hell on earth. I loved it. And it's just <laughs> the perfect Mary Wick's line reading. Um but everything first of all up absolutely perfect sequence of uh of scenes is the one that starts when mary clarence 
enters the choir room for the first time. And that whole scene where she like teaches them, like, you know, alto's here and bass is here and soprano's here. Alma, check your battery. Um, A with an attitude. Um, <laughs> Kathy and Jimmy blowing the windows out of the place with her high note. <laughs> All of that is so perfect, but it's like anchored by Mary Wicks being like totally betrayed, where she's just like, this is mutiny. Um, well, it serves an interesting counterpoint to Mother Superior, yes. who. You know, Sister Mary Lazarus, who is not on board with having, with like losing the room, basically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but then can realize that it's better for the collective. And then she becomes essentially an enthusiastic yeah. uh, assistant. Well, and I love how Mary Clarence wins her over by appealing to her love for, uh, for hard work and discipline. <laughs> she's just like, <laughs> we got to whip these ladies into shape. And she's like, yeah, they're wet behind the ears. Um, um, it's so good. And I also love, how much you know a you know nuns are of course take a vow of obedience and um how much all of the other nuns are like please help us out we're so terrible like please do anything you could do would be we're, we're, we're awful. it takes one rehearsal for them to become the slaying that sensation. is that is the other thing is just like it is like it's one rehearsal and then the next thing we know they're in church and they're uh they're you know whipping up a funky uh hell holy queen which uh, which not only includes girl group uh, vocalizations, but also like a little bit of like a Latin rap breakdown. Not quite rap, but you know what I mean? Where they're just yeah. like, and it's like, um, it's so good. It's so it good. It lures in the youths straight off the street. The children are outside and they're like, what's that? They're sound? drawn. We must to these, go see. Okay, so maybe sounds. I misspoke when I said that. There's nothing about this movie that is dumb comedy because that's pretty stupid. But it is. But look, look at the look, look at, the, at the results. Look at look at the material. Look at the material. How could you music resist? excellence? Um, this was the first thing I'd ever seen Kathy and Jimmy in. She got like the breakthrough star treatment in the media. Like definitely, like it was nominated at the MTV, and movie she was somebody who was like plugging away in comedy and like you know sketch comedy forever she was um is it was it is it mo gaffney who kathy and mo right that was her they're like that was their comedy duo her and mo gaffney mo gaffney from among other things absolutely fabulous um we're like a comedy duo in like the 1980s and and into the early 90s and this was kathy's first big um break in the movies and it's so funny because it's like it's a very much different from her comedic persona throughout the rest of her career. She's a little bit more, you know, down to earth, sardonic, you know, sort of like um I don't know, kind of like a I've seen her in a lot of mom roles recently, which is, you know, only right and correct. Um but her role in Sister Act, the unbelievable cheeriness of this woman where she's like <laughs> almost not even a person so much as like a a puppy you know what i mean she's just like she's it's that levels of mary patrick say where she comes from because i'm like this bitch is from the midwest i was gonna say this is a that's a <laughs> she doesn't have a minnesota accent but it feels very like upper midwest um um the scene where they follow sister mary clarence into the bar which also is tremendous we're like Whoopi is in full, like, she's strutting into that bar. She knows that, like, she's intimidating everybody because they're all weirded out that a nun is in here. 
<clears throat> she takes the guy by his ear to get him to put his uh, feet off of the. She like semi flirts with the guy at the jukebox, but then like sh- shoots him down. Um, and she's like, "You don't got any rhythm." And then orders a coke at the bar. And then the other two, Sister Mary Patrick and Sister Mary Robert, follow her into the bar. And Sister Mary Robert is, of course, very meek. And Sister Mary Patrick is literally just like, this is so much fun. I don't know. She's got one coin before. to spare and she spends it on gravy. And she, uh, which, and then gimme, she gimme, dances. Gimme, 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 gimme gravy tonight. And then she just like dances with the one girl who's at the bar. And it's just like, it's so charming. It's so wonderful. Um, it's a miracle that that character is not annoying. It is a miracle that she's not annoying, but she really isn't. And I think credit to Kathy and Jimmy for that. She 100%. Has, she has so many when they're when they're in Reno and they're all and like I am only human. The sight of a bunch of nuns scurrying through a casino in Reno is so funny. Funny to as me. hell. It's so just funny. funny. But she's also like when they're like, Have you seen this woman? She's like, Have you seen a nun? It's like she's like a Carmelite <laughs> nun. Uh she's dressed up like us. Like she's she's just like all of those little asides are so funny. Um the smile she gives. When when Whoopi's like, can I get an A? And then they give the disjointed A, and she's the one who like like belts it out of the ballpark. And then Whoopi sort of like double takes and then looks back at her. And the smile on Kathy and Jimmy's face is so big and unabashed <laughs> and like, but like childlike. It's so funny where she's just like the cat that ate at the canary, and she like couldn't like. Oh my god, it's so great. Can't say a woman with so much niceness to spare, she was basically biologically forced to become a nun. And then great comedy choice during the CNC music factory scene. You mentioned that, like, she's you know, she's she's breaking down, she's dancing, she's twerking. Um, it's also like, I mean, whatever, sometimes I'm an easy sell, but like, this thing of just like, oh, they're going out into the community, they're meeting people, they're improving things, they're painting walls, they're offering, you know. They're, you know, doing food drives and whatnot. And it's just like all these things were just like, yes, like if you're going to, you know, bother to be a religious order and like sacrifice, you know, your life to the glory of whatever of God, like, yeah, like live in service for people. You know what I mean? Like, like, right. Do good work. And sometimes that includes white girl twerking. Sometimes it includes white girl twerking. Sometimes it includes turning, uh, uh, girl group songs into <laughs> little skits before you sing them where you say hail girls hail mary <laughs> that guy over there <laughs> they say he's really weird it's so funny it's so funny not him <laughs> he's something, to, something for us he's always there it's great it's um god I this movie. all right wait i want to dip into my notes a little bit not that we're at the the end quite yet but um uh, while you do that, let's pull up. Let's talk about the MTV Movie Awards. Mentioned that Kathy Jimmy was a breakthrough performance nominee. She loses to Marissa Tomei and my cousin Vinny. Yes, right. With the so. exception of Whitney Houston and The Bodyguard, these are all comedy performances. It's Holly Berry and Boomerang. Uh, we were kind of in a golden age of comedies. Like we were in a golden right. age of mainstream comedies in the nineties. We really were. And Rosie O'Donnell for a league of their own. Can you imagine? The the taste in this category, can you imagine an MTV Movie Award category yeah. with this much taste anymore? No, I can't. And and it's taste on, like, multiple levels, right? Where it's, like, obviously, like, they're going to latch on to the glamour of a Halle Berry and Boomerang or whatever. And 
Um, but like Kathy and Jimmy and Rosie O'Donnell, who are these very, you know, like character actresses who are not like, they're not MTV girls to put it in a different way. Um, you know what I mean? Like they're, and it takes a discerning palette, I think, to be able to appreciate what they're bringing to the table when you're also trying to be cool as MTV always was, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And trying to be a tastemaker. And I think this is why I, I talk sometimes in perhaps overly reverent tones about the MTV of the 90s, where like they took their cultural tastemaker position seriously. <laughs> and and in a lot of ways. And and I think uh, that's reflected in that. Rosie O'Donnell in the League of Their Own, by the way, underrated performance. The part where she's on the bus. This is Madonna. The part where they're on the bus. Yes, true. Well, Madonna saying, oops, my bosoms come flying out is so fucking funny. It's such a well-delivered line. Um, but r- the scene where Rosie O'Donnell's on the bus and she's talking about how she's got the guy she's engaged to and she's like, uh, uh, he's not much to look at, but at least he's, uh, like, at least he's, you know, uh, got no prospects and treats me bad. Like, that kind of a thing. And it's just like, <laughs> and it's, you know, she's sort of coming to some realizations about, you know, uh, that she deserves better. And, and yet also there's, she's another one who has great asides in that movie where she's just like, um, where she's like yelling at Jimmy, like all the, they're all like rabble, rabble, rabbling about, and she's just like yelling at Jimmy Dugan for being a drunk, or she yells at Kit for, you know, giving her shit. It's, I don't know. We'll have to eventually do League of Their Own. We really will. Um, maybe for the summer? I don't know. Can I shout out my girl, Ellen Albertini Dow, who, oh um, my God, uh, uh, what's Noted, her big line? Uh, what's her big line in um in the song where she's uh, oh we are when it comes to being happy and then they kind yeah. of <laughs> and she goes, we are. I love her so much. Um, uh, listen to our episode on fifty four for our um our ode to Ellen Albertini Dow, uh, the rap and granny from the Wedding Singer, of course. Um, also I don't know the actress's name, but. Um, when they're going through the casino in Reno looking for Mary Clarence, and they come upon Sister Mary Ignatius, who has just hit the jackpot in the in the nickel slots, is <laughs> so funny. The look on her face where she's just like, like, sorry, but also like, and the money's like currently like paying off. I love it. Simple again. I'm a man of simple pleasures. Should we talk about Harvey Keitel in this movie? It's weird that you have absolutely nothing. It's weird that Harvey Keitel is, what is in there this movie say? and you have nothing to say yeah. better about him. It's a better performance than his one singular Oscar nomination in Bugsy. <laughs> That's what we can say. He doesn't, he's just like, it's a very stock character. It is, there's not a yeah, lot of dimension to him. It's interesting that Harvey Keitel agreed to do this role. Yes, it is. Because. Truly why. Like, he could have been played by either of his two goons that yes, he has. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Or, like, any number. Though of... I guess, you know, Whoopi's having an affair with him, so we gotta believe that he's kind of sexy and appealing. Yeah. So I guess Harvey Keitel. Yeah. I hear I that. I mean, Harvey Keitel couldn't have worked longer than a week on this movie. <laughs> also true. I'm trying to think of, like, what is, what is this movie in proximity to, like, Bad Lieutenant? Before. Is it before? Definitely before. Um, hold on. If it's before. It's the same year as Bad Lieutenant. Fuck. Okay. And Reservoir Dogs. That, all right. That's a year, right? Harvey, 
Well, he follows up his Oscar nomination for Bugsy with Reservoir Dogs, Bad Lieutenant, and Sister and Act. Sister Act. And then the next year is the piano. So, yeah. like, we're in a real interesting, actually, like the most interesting sector of Harvey Keitel's career. And smack in the middle of it is this weirdo nothing performance in Sister Act. Amazing. Amazing. God love it. Um... Also nominated at the MTV Movie Awards, Whoopi is nominated for comedic performance, loses to Robin Williams in Aladdin. Which, yeah, I get it. Really interesting. Nominated for female performance, loses to Sharon Stone for Basic Instinct. That's 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 probably right. You know what I mean? That's probably right. Um, it, it, you know, the fact that this movie was nominated by the MTV set is cool in and of itself. So I agree. We'll be happy that Whippy's. But it's also a reflection of just like just how pervasively mainstream this movie was. Like she won a Kids' Choice Award for this movie. Like, yeah, it, 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 you know, like I was saying earlier, it's not a four quadrant movie. It's like a one thousand quadrant movie. This yes. movie appeals to everybody, everyone, everybody, everybody. Um. Uh, what else? What else? What else? I want to talk about. Mark Shaman for a second, who does the score here. Uh, one of his earlier scores, it's it comes the year before his first Oscar nomination, which he gets for Sleepless in Seattle. It's a score that you you so much when you think about the music in this movie, of course, you think of the songs, right? The religious songs, the Motown songs, the ones that that combine them both together. But like all those scenes where she's like running away from the goons or whatever, and it's like that like adventure music or whatever. It's just like it's not like reinventing the wheel or anything like that, but it's like it's this very like recognizable score. Um up until this point, he had been building this like really good roster of scores where he does when Harry met Sally, Misery, it's like the 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 Rob Reiners, right? Um mm-hmm. that City Slickers also, the Adams family. A few good men is the same year as as um Sister Act. And of course, this was the year that kind of inspired this year and and um 1994. Cause what's the first year of the split score category? Is it 95? Uh I think it's I think it's 93, because I think it's the year of Pocahontas. Well, nine uh, Pocahontas was 95. So okay. well then, then, yes. yeah. <laughs> But, like, the dominance of Aladdin and then subsequently the Lion King in the, uh, in the score category, excuse me, in the, in the music categories was what inspired the Oscars to be like, well, let's do a comedy score and a drama score so that something else has a chance to win because you were sort of steering down the barrel of, and ironically, like, it wouldn't really happen after that, but like they were sort of assuming that like every time Disney releases a movie, it's going to win best song and best score. Like that's just sort of, you know, that's uh, the the future we have uh, laid out for ourselves. And ultimately in 95, they split the category between. Sorry. Oh, I'm looking at the wrong one. I'm like, why is this not showing it for me? It's because I'm looking at the goddamn Golden Globes. Um, the Golden Globes never split their score category to their detriment. All right, so 
Yeah, what deranged score nominees would we have if the Globes had two score I'm nom- saying, I'm saying. So, all right, anyway. 95. All right, yeah, so 95 is the first year that they separate a dramatic score and musical or comedy score. It only lasts for one, two, three, four years. But it's a real interesting four years. It's a lot of nominations for Randy Newman, I'll tell you that much. Um, it's a lot of nominations for Danny Elfman, um, which is fine, which is good. And it's you get a bunch of Shaman uh, nominations there, too. That's when he's nominated for The American President. That's when he's nominated for The First Wives Club. Um, that's when he's nominated for Patch Adams. Okay, but still. Um, but my question to you when we were getting ready to prepare this episode was, what do we imagine that a 1992 original score category looks like if it's a split between drama and comedy year, if they had instituted it at this point. <clears throat> so your, well. Oscar, your Oscar nominees that year were Aladdin for Alan Menken wins. So that's in comedy. Basic Instinct is nominated for Jerry Goldsmith. That's, your, that's a drama. Score. John Barry for Chaplin. That's drama. Richard Robbins for Howard's End, that's drama. Mark Isham for A River Runs Through It, that's drama. So we need one more drama nominee and four more comedy nominees. Uh, I think one of the comedy nominees would actually be A League of Their Own. I mean, yes, I think that's true. Hans Zimmer's score for A League of Their Own, wonderful score. Um, I think other comedies you're looking like, I wonder if... They categorize uh, sneakers as a comedy. It's sort of a mm-hmm. like adventure caper. If they do, James Horner's score for sneakers is one of my favorites. It's so 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 good. Um, if they categorize it as a drama, then throw it in drama. But I think you could probably get away with calling sneakers a comedy. And I forget how much original music is in Unforgiven, but as the Best Picture winner, it seems e- easy if lazy to put that in there. Sure, I would also hope. Um, I'm pretty sure. It's Terrence Blanchard, obviously, yeah. attached to Malcolm X. Yes, that Terrence Blanchard for Malcolm X is a cool. very good one. I also feel like this is a way to get, it's a little bit of a cheat, but to nominate Angelo Badalamente for Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. And uh, in That movie was so reviled at the oh, time. Oh, I'm not talking about like would have, but in terms of just like- Oh, you're like saying playing, like, what would you advocate for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would advocate for- you know, Alan Silvestri for Death yeah. Becomes Her. Um, uh, what else? Uh, Philip Glass for Candyman would have I would never have happened. I would advocate for Bram Stoker's Dracula. Who was that? Oh, fuck yeah. Good call. Good call. Uh, Philip and Glass for that's Candyman. That's conceivable, too, because Bram Stoker's Dracula isn't multiple Oscar winner that it could have been nominated. Definitely. Comedy, though. I wonder if toys would be in there. Oh, maybe. As reviled as that is, you know, that is an Oscar nominee. It is an Oscar nominee. I remember it having a lot of music to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, what are the other, like, comedies that get nominated in any of the craft categories that year? That's an interesting... Yeah, Toys was nominated for Art Direction. I suppose um, there would be Enchanted April. Sure, yes. I think that's probably true. Who does the score for Enchanted April? That is... Richard Rodney Bennett. That would make a lot of sense. Um, I could see Death Becomes Her getting a nomination for Alan Silvestri. It is sure. a winner in, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in visual effects. 
but it's just interesting to 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 imagine that out. I think there are some here's the here's maybe a more succinct hypothetical, yeah. but one that I think would be interesting. We the another defunct category is the song score category. Sure, to have full. This is how Purple Rain has an Oscar. Right, right, right. right. This is how. Is this how Yentl has an Oscar? Yeah, yeah. Um, would Sister Act win or would the Bodyguard win? I would guess probably the Bodyguard. The Bodyguard Sister was Act such would a have successful been... soundtrack. Yeah. Well, no, because that category, because there were some years where it was just three. I think Purple Rain won as just a nomination of three. It would be Aladdin, the Bodyguard, and Sister Act nominated together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Sister Act probably then wouldn't stand a chance, but we would be. It would be another Aladdin Oscar, almost certainly. Yeah. Um. Which is probably why they <laughs> didn't feel the need, need to it. bring that category back. I also want to mention one of the great Oscar snubs. God, if we do when we when we do an addendum to hundred snubs, I got to remember this one: the score for Last of the Mohicans, the uh, mm. the Trevor Jones Randy Edelman score for Last of the Mohicans was somehow it was nominated by the Globes, but it was not nominated um, by the Academy, which is insane to me uh, because it's such a good score. Also, uh, former This Had Oscar Buzz film, 1492 Conquest of Paradise, was a Globe nominee for the Vangelis score uh, that year. Go Vangelis. Um, what other ones in, in score have I not mentioned? Some of these are dramas. Um, I mean, wouldn't, have, wouldn't be shocked if John Williams got a nomination for Far and Away. Um, James Horner also had a great score. God, in the same year, James Horner had Patriot Games and Sneakers, two of, I think, some of the most definitive uh, scores. And then the next year, he was uh, Pelican Brief, right? We talked about that when we did our Pelican Brief yeah. episode. Just killing it left and right, man. What a great screen. Uh, Should we move on to the IMDb game? Why don't we? Why don't you let our listeners know what the IMDb game is? All right. So every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game, where we challenge each other with an actor or actress to try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining titles release years as a clue. If that's not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. Sure does. That the is IMDb the IMDb game. game. All right. So is our uh, leader this episode. Would you like to give her guess first? Well, I would like to give first, I feel like. All right. So, Inoki. as stated... I am of the resolute opinion that Sister Act is a better movie than Sister Act 2. However, <laughs> you did mention the the salient fact that Sister Act 2 is a movie about going to nationals, and I do have to give it credit for that because I do love that. Um, one of the stars of Sister Act 2 back in the habit, we all remember Lauren Hill. We all obviously talk about, you know... Uh, Jennifer the, Scare quotes love Hewitt. Well, the way to steal my thunder because the uh, IMDb challenge I'm giving you is Jennifer Love Hewitt. Ah, oh, fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. I was, of course, obsessed with her in no my years. Television. I know what you did last summer. Wait, I just, you totally glitched out for me. Why don't you try that again? You did too. Let's do a count off to be safe. Okay. One. Two. Three. Four. Five. I think there is still a small delay, so. We'll deal with it. Oh, 
Should I? Uh, I'll, I'll probably. Yeah, you go for it. Say what you were saying. Okay. Um, Jennifer Love Hewitt, no television. No television. Uh, which she's had multiple shows. Party that... of Five, Ghost Party Whisperer. Party Five. But she's, yeah, she had Ghost Whisperer. Was she Globe nominated for Ghost Whisperer? Would not surprise me. Um, uh, okay. So yeah. I know what you did last summer. Correct. Can't hardly wait. No, incorrect. I Yowie, wowie, so no, can't hardly wait. I know. Um, I still know what you did last summer. Correct. Uh, okay, so what was her rom-com that came shortly after then? Because no... Oh, Heartbreakers? Heartbreakers. Her okay. and Sigourney. I cannot believe that Can't Hardly Wait isn't there. It's kind um, of surprising that Heartbreakers hasn't been turned into a musical by now. I mean, it basically kind of is. No, but I, I mean, could, like a stage. I should musical. rewatch Heartbreakers. Yeah. There's a there's a lot of um, there's a lot of you know, yeah, uh, gays that stand for them. Yes, it's true. Um, Same. I know it's right there. I mean, like it's such a short window of time when things would be showing up on a known four for her. Correct. Unless, I mean, it could be. Is it Sister Act 2? No, it's not Sister Act 2. All right, so that's two strikes. So your remaining year is 2002. Okay, so this is in that time. Mm -hmm. I know what you did last summer is 98, as I believe Can't Hardly Wait is. The first I know what you did last summer is 97. Oh, 97. Right, because they rushed that movie because Scream did so well. Yes, Um. I can't believe that I Know What You Did Last Summer was, like, produced, went through post-production, and came out in the span of, like, I know six months. Basically. If we're talking about the Jennifer Love Hewitt, like, movie career, it does span from I Know What You Did Last Summer in 1997 to this movie in 2002. Mm-hmm. Even though nobody so really- it's after Heartbreakers. Yes. She's on the poster, but it's not a Jennifer Love Hewitt movie. And it's not a horror movie. No. Is it a romantic movie? No. So it's a comedy. It is a type of comedy. Was she in a... She's in the poster, but it's not a rom-com, though, right? Nope. Yeah. Uh, but it's a, like, only had it's a, like, blank slash comedy. Like, it's a, you know, comedy with another genre uh, attached. It's a horror comedy? Nope. An action comedy. Yes. Um, which... I will and say... her co-star is a male co-star. Right. Her male co-star is doing something on the poster, and then she's sort of, like, set back with her arms Oh, crossed, it's uh, like the male. tuxedo? It is the tuxedo with, with Jackie, Jackie Chan. Chan. Yes, she's making the very classic, I am a lady in a suit with my arms crossed because I am not impressed by because your antics, I am Jackie not, Chan. I, I am not impressed and I do not condone your actions. Exactly. The exactly. tuxedo the is tuxedo. on her known for above Can't Hardly Wait. I know. So I suppose, like, at that point, her name is above the title. She's second build. Mm-hmm. I would believe that she gets an and credit in Can't Hardly Wait. She is on the poster for every single movie, though, in this run, right? Including also... Right. um. Uh, that movie that I've never seen called The Trojan War, where it's her and the guy from um, 
Boy Meets World, who she was dating at the time, the older brother from Boy Meets World, are in this like Got it. sex comedy called The Trojan War, because of course, uh, Trojan is a brand of condoms. Get it. Um, and We're that so it's, funny. it's, it's essentially the same plot as booty call actually, which is <laughs> I need to have sex, but I don't have a condom. So I have to go running around like the, the nineties were crazy for straight people, man. Like, um, uh, yeah, like booty call. It's, it's all, it's all predicated on how difficult it is to get a condom, to get a condom. Which, like it's easier evening. to get a condom than to get food. In Literally duck into any gay bar and like find the nearest table. And there is a bowl of condoms. Like just, just get over it. Marlon Wayans. No, who's in it's um, booty call is uh, Jamie Foxx and Tommy Davidson. Right. Yes. Yes. All right. Anyway, for you, yeah. I chose uh, the star that, Sister Act was originally supposed to be a vehicle for. Surprisingly, we have never done Bette Midler. We haven't. All right. What is the... No television, no voice. Get out of here. Okay. The Rose. No. Bitch. We are both losing our minds that The Rose is not on here. Bitch. We both love The Rose. Okay. Beaches. Correct. Um, okay, so, Outrageous Fortune? No, incorrect. So your years are 1986, 1993, and 1996. 96 is First Wives Club, of course. Correct. Uh, 93, is that what you said? Yes, year after Sister Act. 93, what is Bet doing? So. Beaches was a hit. Oh, wait, no. Is Hocus Pocus 93? Hocus Pocus is 93. All right. Okay. I am not a Hocus Pocus person. I'm too old for Hocus Pocus. I I mean, I was as a kid and watching it as an adult, I cannot get behind. Yeah. Hocus Pocus Hocus Pocus culture. Hocus we, Pocus. We're overdoing it, gang. It's too much. Um, all right. Uh, by the way, Adam Grossworth, if you're listening to this, I know you're about to send me a GIF from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend that says, <laughs> all citizens must watch Hocus Pocus. Know that I know that that is coming. Um, is the 1980s one Down and Out in Beverly Hills? No. She's Tom in that, Zersky though, right? Movie. She's in that, though, right? Yes, she's the wife in that movie. Is it Ruthless People? It's Ruthless People. A movie that, Ruthless like... Ruthless People being in there over both of her Oscar nominations. I know. You can see why For the Boys is not on there. For the but, Boys, I should have thought of that, but yeah. I mean, motherfucker, The Rose is, like, one I know. of the greatest performances I know. of all time. Ruthless People is one of those um, Video Factory blockbuster uh, videotape cover movies sure. for me that, like, I remember from browsing. And then I watched it one time, and I'm like, this isn't the kind of funny that I like. Like, that was, like, that was not a... That was not a movie pitched to to young to young me at the time. So, <laughs> all right, uh, good IMDb game. That was really fun. All right, Chris, excellent talk. Happy New Year. Um, I love Sister Act. I'm glad we got to talk about this. Thank you to Euro Cheese for suggesting this, and um, we'll have more patron selects all month long. We sure will. We absolutely will. And then maybe one in February because we still have one more on top. <laughs> we do. Listen, we're going to get them all out there. That is our episode though. If you want more of this hot Oscar buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at this how the, and that's our episode. If you want more of this had Oscar buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at this had Oscar You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. 
our Instagram at this had Oscar Buzz, and our Patreon at patreon.com slash this had Oscar Buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find more of you? Uh, you will follow him at uh, all socials. <laughs> that Crispy is so That's obvious. F-E-I-L. I'm furious at you. That's the let's mo- perfect. God damn it. Um, goofy. Uh, I am on uh, Blue Sky and Letterboxed at Joe Reed, both of those places. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance, Taylor Cole for our theme music. Please remember you can rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility. So if you can write something nice about us, we have two words for you. Bless you. That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. My opinion is he's the cream of the crop. As a matter of taste, to be exact. He's my ideal, as a matter of fact. No muscle bound man could take my hand from my God. My God. No handsome face could ever take the place of my God. My God. He may not be a movie star, but when it comes to being happy, 